You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri, that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. Woo! Are y'all ready to have a good time today? Praise the Lord. I hope so. I hope y'all ready to have a good time because I came to praise the Lord today and I want and we're going to we're going to take a journey of praise this morning. Praise God. But before we do that, we're going to preach a little bit and then we're going to journey of praise and then we're going to preach a little more and then we're going to praise some more. Are y'all up for that? How many of y'all ready for that? All right. Praise God. Got a few of us. All right. We'll, we'll incorporate the rest of you here in just a minute. Amen. All right, we're going to turn to uh, 2 Samuel chapter uh, 6, and um, we are going to be looking at the first 14 verses this morning. And so I'm going to read these out of this Bible, which is, uh, this one here is the New King James, all right? And so it says, again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from the ark of God, whose name is called by the name the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Uzzah, or Uzzah, and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments, of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums, and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor... Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day, which means an outbreak against Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, which, it, which was Jerusalem. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of trumpets. Somebody said, praise the Lord. Praise, somebody said, praise the Lord. 
All right, now we're going. All right, hey, I want to talk to you for a minute about the Ark of the Covenant. Now, some of you, your information may be limited to Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. If that's all it is, I'm going to, I'm going to deepen it a little further, okay? All right, so the Ark of the Covenant has a rich history in Israel. Uh, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt and into the wilderness area, they were planning on going over across Jordan, but you probably know the story how that they sent spies over and the ten of the spies brought back a bad report and two of the spies said that we could certainly take this land if we just rise up and do so. But because of the unfaithfulness of the ten spies who coerced the rest of the people to, be a lack, to have lack of faith, then God determined that they were going to dwell in the wilderness for 40 years. And so as they were out in the wilderness area, uh, it wasn't long before God expressed to Moses how he wanted to be worshipped. And so he gave Moses express directions on how the tabernacle should be set up and the, you know, the sizes and all the dimensions and all the materials that were to be used in worshipping God. And in the center of that tabernacle, in a place called the Holy of Holies, amen, was, was a box that they created it was called the Ark of the Covenant. And that box was really a type of Christ. Most of, you know, most of the things in the Old Testament, if you really get down to it, point to Jesus. Amen. And so it's like a, a foreshadow or a type or trying to prepare us for what was yet to come because God knew all along what was yet to come. Amen. And so the Ark of the Covenant was kind of a type of Christ because, first of all, it was made out of wood and gold. Uh, Jesus was human and deity, amen, and the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant contained within it a few items, and three of th those three items was, first of all, the bowl of manna, because each day, as the Israelites would come out of their tents, there on the ground would be this, this, this wafer or this substance that they ate, which they had never seen before. In fact, the word manna in the Hebrew literally means, what is it? So like the first day they came out and said, what's for breakfast? And they go, that's for breakfast. And they're like, what is it? Oh, that's what we'll call it. What is it? Manna. And so they ate manna every which way you could probably eat it, I suppose. And because they had it every single day. Amen. And, but it was a way of God sustaining them in the wilderness area and meeting their needs. And so they had a bowl of manna in that, in that Ark of the Covenant to constantly be a reminder to them that God is their provider. And you know Jesus, what did he say when, when he was teaching the disciples how to pray? He said, hey, say this, give us this day our daily bread. The manna was only good for one day. After the, after the manna set for one day, it began to be stinky and, and, and putrid and, and had worms in it. Amen. So you had to go back each day. But guess what? God's faithful. And so out of God's faithfulness, it was always there. Amen. And so the second thing that was in that box was Aaron's rod. Aaron had a staff just like Moses did and there came a time when several people rose up against uh, the leadership of Aaron and said, hey, you know, who voted him to be the leader? I mean, we can be the leader. We can be the leader just as good as he can be the leader. But they forgot about the anointing of God. Amen? Because God is the one who promotes people to places of leadership, not man. Are y'all with me today? Thank you. 
Amen. And so they, they said, okay, well, we're going to find out who's the real leader. And so they, they told these guys, they said, lay your rods down and lay Aaron's rods down and we're going to figure out who's going to lead. And guess what? Aaron's rod, which was a dry piece of wood, began to bloom and put forth almonds. Amen. So out of death came life. Amen. Not only was it a recognition of the fact that, that Aaron's, uh, the, the anointing was upon Aaron as a leader, but it also represented the fact that out of death comes life. Praise God. The uh, third thing that was in that box originally was the two tables of stone that Charlton Heston carried down the mountain. <laughs> stone, stone, and see. And, uh, but no, not those stones, but it was a little later. But uh, the, the actual stone tablets that God wrote on with his fingers, amen, uh, which contained the Ten Commandments and probably other things as well, but those stone tablets were in that box. And so everywhere they went, that, those things were in there. Amen. It was a reminder of the law. What was Jesus? He was the fulfillment of the law of God. You know, Jesus said himself, he said, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill the law. Amen. No man could keep the law 100%, but Christ did. And he did it for us. Amen. Praise the Lord. And so because he did, we don't have to. All we got to do is piggyback on Jesus. Amen. We can just ride with Jesus all the way to heaven. Amen. I ain't got to worry about being perfect. Jesus is perfect. I ain't got to worry about, uh, you know, everything that, that, that Gary Duke's made up of because when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. Praise God. Amen. Give the Lord praise. Y'all going to have to preach with me a little bit today now. All right. Okay. So, that's where the ark... The ark represented the presence of God. The ark represented the presence of God. So, what, what do you mean? Well, every night, every night, and every day, the ark, the presence of the Lord was visible. I'll tell you how the ark was visible. Where's Brother Will? Where's he at? Oh, yeah. Anyway, I don't see him, but... God came up with the first heat and air unit. Amen. He was the first heat and air unit. Out of, out of, um, uh, of the uh, uh, Ark of the Covenant, or right there in the center of the wilderness in that tabernacle, at nighttime, a pillar of fire would be present at, at every night. Everybody camped around that tabernacle. And, and all night long, the fire would warm their, their tents. During the day when the hot sun would be shining over their heads, a cloud would cover them to keep them cool and shielded from, from the sun. And when it came time for them to load up and to move to a different spot in the wilderness, even though all, it all looked pretty much the same, but at, when it came to load up, the cloud moved and they followed the cloud. You know, I was preparing this message today, and I got, or, you know, this week, and I got to thinking, you know, uh, those guys are out there in the wilderness for 40 years, right? Right across the Jordan River is the promised land that, they, that God told them was theirs. You know, and they already had people go over there and say, yeah, man, you know, the promised land's awesome. I mean, it's got fruit and milk and honey and there's all kinds of good stuff. And we're living out here in, in the desert, you know. And, and, and I, I got to thinking, you know, at any given time during those 40 years, the people could have rose up and they could have said, you know what, forget this. I mean, you know, we're out, of, I'm sick of this wilderness thing. You know, we're just going to go ahead and go across the Jordan River and take what belongs to us because God done said that, you know, it's ours. You know, but what kept them from doing that? What kept them from doing that was the awareness of the presence of the Lord. They knew that if they went, they were going alone. God wasn't going with them. And if you go without God, 
you're going to end up in a bad place. Amen. And so they, they had rather be in the wilderness with God than to go out on their own because they knew that God's presence was very real. They knew it because every day they had manna. Every evening quail blew in from the east wind and dropped at their feet. Amen. Their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. Amen. God was there. He was constantly in their, in their midst. God, they knew the importance of the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant was an awesome, awesome awareness that God was with them. And what is Jesus? Emmanuel. God with us. Amen. And you know what? When it came time for them to go across the Jordan River, the Bible says in the book of Joshua that the river was flooded and it was beyond its banks. Amen. And they were wondering how in the world they were going to get over there. And God spoke to Joshua and he said, you take the priest, tell the priest to bear the Ark of the Covenant and just start walking towards that river. Now, those of us that live in this area, we know what a flooded river looks like. Can you imagine Elk River at its height in the midst of, you know, the height part of its flood, as we've all seen many times, right? Amen. And they're going to go across that river into the, into the promised land. And, and, and God told them, said, take the Ark of the Covenant, put the priests in the front, and just tell them to start walking, brother. Don't stop. And so the priests just started walking. You know, it's probably pretty easy until they got close to the river. You know? And they seen that rushing river coming down. Don't you know, it took a little bit of faith. Amen. For those priests just to hold on to that ark and keep going. But the Bible says as soon as their feet touched the water, amen, God stopped up that Jordan River. And they walked out in the middle of that river and stood as the people came across on dry land, just like the Red Sea experience. How many of you know God can still do whatever He wants to do any way He wants to do it? God is still God. I know we got a lot of resources that we look to and a lot of things that we can draw from and thank God for technology and med medical medicine and doctors and all that good stuff. But I want you to know something. When it all comes down to it, God don't need none of that junk. God can still do whatever He wants to do because He's still God. He's still a miracle-working God. When it came time to go uh, bring to their first fight at Jericho, what does the Bible say? The Bible says that every day they took that Ark of the Covenant and they walked around that city. They didn't say nothing. They didn't do anything. They got in line behind the Ark of the Covenant and they just walked just like God told them. And can you imagine those people on the walls? As they look out and they see you know, thousands of people coming around their city and just walking around and nobody's saying nothing but in the forefront, at the point, the primary focus was that Ark of the Covenant. They knew that God was real because God had sustained these people for 40 years out in the wilderness. And so they knew that they were fighting not against a man, they're fighting against God. That's why when the spies came into Jericho and seen Rahab, Rahab told them straight up, said, man, everybody in here is shaking in their boots. They're all scared because they know that y'all's God is real. I mean, everybody else is worshiping a bunch of stones and wood. But you're, you're worshiping a God that actually does something. Hello? We're worshiping a God that does something, y'all. We're worshiping a God that does something. He's not, he's not idle. He's not powerless. He's not weak. He's not, he's not run out of ideas. He ain't stopped talking. He ain't stopped doing. Are y'all with me today? Somebody praise the Lord with me in this house. Amen. And so as they went around those walls of Jericho, what happened? The walls came down. Amen. The Ark of the Covenant 
was an awareness of the presence of God. But guess what? The children of Israel got to a place to where they lost sight of the importance of God's presence. And even though the ark was still amongst them, amen, they just kind of stuck it off in a corner somewhere. And they decided that they were just kind of ignored and they started taking upon the ways of the world and they started worshiping other gods and, and other idols and setting up other things. And, and when they got in a bad way with the Philistines one day, they were looking at a big battle and it looked like they weren't going to win. And, and somebody said, hey, I got an idea. The ark. Let's go get the ark because, you know, it worked before. Well, let me tell you something about the presence of God. It's not a spare tire in your trunk. Amen. It is, it, it is a daily awareness that God is with us. It is a relationship that we have to have when the Lord is, is on our side. I mean, I'm not saying that God can't come in and swoop in in the midst of whatever situation and do something for you. I'm not saying that. He can do whatever he jolly well pleases because he is God. But what I'm saying is, is that we are to be a people who is aware, uh, who's aware of the presence of the Lord and is seeking it and honoring it and respecting it and desiring it in our lives. And the children of Israel had lost that. They had lost that. And they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the camp. And man, all the people just went crazy. Oh my goodness, the Ark's here. Man, we're sure going to win now. We got the mascot. Huh? Come on. We got, we got the ark. We're going we're to tear them up now, boys. Tomorrow is going to be a smooth sailing day because God is with us. But God wasn't with them because they weren't living in obedience to God. And when they went out to fight that battle, guess what? The Philistines took the ark. And they, they stole it from them. And they went and took it to every city in, in, in their area as kind of like a tour. They kind of like put it on tour, you know. And they set it up in their temple next to their false god. But guess what? All that happened was bad things. Because you can't mix God with the devil. God and the devil don't mix. Light and darkness never mixes. Amen. Good and bad just can't get along. Are y'all with me today? And so what happened was is that the, the idols of the Philistines had to literally bow down before the Ark of the Covenant. Amen. And, and God smote the Philistines with plagues. I know I'm, I'm, I'm being a little backgroundy here, but just stick with me for a minute. We'll get there. God smote the Philistines with plagues. And guess what? The Philistines decided they didn't want that ark no more. You know what? We don't understand this thing. We don't know what it's about, but we know one thing. Everybody's sick. Bad things are happening. We got tumors on everybody and whatever, and things are not going well. We're going to take this ark, and we're going to give it back to them Israelites. And so they said, well, maybe not. Maybe it's just a coincidence. You know, maybe things aren't really bad because of the ark. Maybe it's just, you know, it's bad luck. And so the leader, somebody said, well, I'll tell you what let's do. Let's take that ark, and we'll put it on a cart. Okay, and we'll take two cows who are still weaning their calves and we'll put them leading the cart and we'll separate them from the cows and we'll see what they do. And we won't even put nobody in the cart to drive it. And, we, and, and if that cart actually goes back to the Israelites, we'll know for a fact God was in this thing. And that's exactly what they did. And the cart went like 20 miles or whatever uh, from where it was at without anybody driving it. Two mama cows separated from their calves, moved all the way there. 
Jody's brother lives down the road from me. He's got cattle. Man, I can always tell when he separates them cows, getting ready to send them to the, you know, the market or whatever, because all you can hear down there is a bunch of bellowing and they go, they don't want to be away from their friends and their mamas and their daddies or whatever. I don't know nothing about cattle. I do like to eat them, though. I know that. And so, anyhow, so, so they brought the ark back, right? And so they put the ark in a man's house by the name of Abinadad. Actually, before they put the ark in the house of Abinadab, they decided to look inside of it. And they opened up the Ark of the Covenant, and it probably was similar to Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't know. But 50,000 people lost their life that day. God's power was still real. God was still there. He still wanted them to know that His presence was important. He still wanted respect. He still wanted honor. He still wanted to be glorified. Are y'all with me today? You know, God will get your attention one way or the other, y'all. I mean, He will get your attention. He wants you to know that He's real. Amen. He is not to be taken lightly. And so uh, the, they put this ark in, in Abinadab's house, household, and that is where it stayed for 50 years. 50 years. Now, you know, you got to think to yourself, in the meantime, Saul loses kingship, David takes over. They had to have been worshiping God to some extent, but they did not have that Ark of the Covenant in their midst, really. Amen. Because once a year, they, they do the Day of Atonement where the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat, which was the top of the Ark. And so, I, you know, I, I got to thinking, and the Bible didn't really tell me exactly whether they actually went to Benadab's house to do that or they just didn't do it at all. I don't know. But it was a bad situation. David became king, and he decided, you know what? I want the ark back. I want the presence of the Lord back where it's supposed to be. Aren't you glad that even though things happen in your life that separates you from the presence of God, Sometimes we allow things to come in to distract us and get us away from where we need to be. Amen. But aren't you glad today that all you got to do is make a determination in your spirit and in your heart, I want to get back where God wants me to be. And you know what? God will, God will go with that. He wants us to be near Him. So many places in the Scripture it said, Draw nigh unto me, and I'll draw nigh unto you. Call unto me, and I will answer you, and I'll show you great and mighty things. If you seek me, you will find me. How, how many of you know that's true? Amen. Aren't you? Thank you. Amen. Hallelujah. Because when we get down on our knees and begin to cry out to God, God is attentive to the cries of His children. Praise the Lord. And I believe David's heart was right in the sense that he understood the, the importance of the presence of God. But, you know, I'm not sure he really had really thought it out well. Because the Bible says that he goes to get the ark and he, and he grabs up 30,000 guys. And I'm sure there was uh, other people along with him. You know, the, the Bible, they, they talk about men a lot. But I'm sure there was something other than men. But he gets 30,000 people, and he goes up there to get this ark. He is going to make this a big fanfare. Amen. This is going to be a big day, y'all. You know, David was one of those guys, do it. Hey, go big or go home, you know. Go big or go home. We're, gonna, we're not doing this any, you know, we're going to make this right, man. We're going to get the bands together, and we're going to do everything like it's, and we're going to make it a big, big day. And so he goes and gets the ark, and they put it on an ox cart. Now, that was not the way that the Bible says that the ark should be carried. The ark was to be carried by the Levites on two poles. That's the way God said it was to be carried. But they put it on this ox cart because that's the way the Philistines did it. 
And so they start back with it. And you, as I read you in the Word of God, the ark, ox cart started to become unsteady and one of the sons of Abinadab reached out to grab that ark to keep it from falling off the cart. Poor old Uzzah, he had a good motive. He was trying to do a good thing. But when you're acting in disobedience to God, you can be doing the right thing with the right motive and still find yourself in a problem sometimes. Amen? And so Uzzah reached up to grab and God smote him dead right there. Suddenly, what was starting out to be a celebration of praise, a journey of praise, turned into a train wreck and an unscheduled funeral. Amen. And David went back home. And before they went back home, they stuck it. They got three miles from Jerusalem. Three miles from Jerusalem is where Obed-Edom the Gittite lived. They had already made it 17 miles when that happened. And, oh, and David said, I'm not doing nothing else. I don't know what to do. I, you know, this is not good. He was angry at God. He's probably thinking, man, God, don't you see me trying to do something here? Don't you see that I'm trying to do something for you? You ever been there? God, don't you care? Huh? Don't you understand that I'm, I'm your man? I'm the one that's supposed to be trying to do something for you, and you ain't even respecting me. Hello. I had a, past, I had a, a pastor friend. That was building a church over in, over by Redding's Mill, and uh, they they was turning this barn into this church, right? And, and anyway, um, uh, they they were getting had volunteer help. You know, people donated materials because it was it wasn't a very wealthy church, and so like they were trying to put it together as they could. And somebody had donated all the uh, the sheetrock and the labor, but they didn't have the roof on yet. So they put the sheetrock up, and the roofers were going to come like in two days. You know, but, you know, you couldn't pass up the sheetrock and the labor. You know, it was, it was the only time they could do it. And so they got all the sheetrock in, and, and they, had, they had been having church in there, even though it wasn't really finished. And so they had their piano and their organ and stuff. And, and guess what? Before the roofers got there, you know what happened, right? It came a gully washer. And all the water came into that, and all the sheetrock fell off the ceiling. And it all fell down on the seats and on the organ and the piano and the instruments and whatever. And it was a, it was a mess. Wet sheetrock is a mess. Amen. And, and so the deacons called the pastor. And they said, Brother Cantor, come. And, and you know, you got to see this. This is terrible. And Brother Cantor come up there and he looked and he said, Oh, my Lord. You know, I mean, you know, we had all this done. All the work, the money, we, I, we don't have the money to replace it. And, and, and what a mess. I mean, it's gotten all over everything. And, and he walked outside by himself because he didn't want the deacons and his church members to seem so discouraged. And he kind of got off to the side and he was just praying. And he said, he, he said, I said, Lord, can't you see that I'm trying to build you a church? And the Lord spoke to him and said, can't you see I'm trying to use this church to build you? God has a way of flipping the script. Amen. Sometimes he's got a way of flipping the script to where, you know what? He is more concerned about our character than he is our comfort. And if things ain't right, if things aren't right in here, you know what? This is the prize right here, y'all. Not that muscle that's, you know, pumping blood through our veins, but what we call our heart, our, our, the center of who we are, who God wants, is, that is us. He wants us first before he wants anything else. 
I mean, that's the most important thing. And so David went back to Jerusalem, and he probably had to do some serious heart searching. You know, if you're not careful, amen, we, we will make our worship and our praise about something other than God. Are y'all with me today? I mean, sometimes, you know, some of these praise and worship deals, well, I don't want to get too crazy, but it can be more about smoke and mirrors and, and fireballs and, and whatever other than God himself. I mean, I, it, it's great that we can use whatever we can to give God praise, but we need to make sure that God is the focal point of our praise. Amen. I've I seen a video of some praise group, and I, if they're your praise group, forgive me. I'm an old dude, so, you know. But here's this lady who looked like she was kind of Pentecostal holiness to me, and she's playing a guitar, and she was an awesome singer, and she's singing an old spiritual, but uh, I think it was, uh, ain't no grave gonna hold my body down. And, and, and she's doing a great job, and then here's this other girl, and I don't know what she was doing exactly. She was like spun out, man. I mean, you know, I mean, I've been in services where people did some gyrations that the Holy Ghost was on them, but I, this did not look like the Holy Ghost to me. Now, maybe it was, but I mean, she was like doing this crazy gyrations. And, and I was thinking, okay, wow, this is wild, man. I mean, I'm confused. I'm confused. I, I don't know what was going on with her, but I do know one thing. It was distracting away from what this girl was trying to sing about. Amen. Because, you know, when we're lifting up God, when we're lifting up Christ, amen, when we're lifting up the Lord, amen, He needs to be the focal point of our praise. I love our praise team, don't you? Would you give them a praise? And man, that song that you sang, uh, uh, that second one from the, all of them was great, but my Lord, could you feel the Spirit of God in here? I mean, there was people, whoo, yeah, amen, hallelujah. You know why? Because you could tell that the Lord was, was here. He was being lifted up as we were singing about how God arrested us from death. Hey, how He pulled us out of the pit. How He changed our life. Amen. You know what? Praise is a primary focal point for God. Praise is what got the devil kicked out of heaven. Amen. Praise is going on in heaven 24-7. They don't have 24-7, but we do. But praise is going on in heaven every single moment of eternity. There's not a moment, amen, when there isn't a cherubim on one side or the other of the throne of God going, holy, holy, holy. Are y'all with me today? Amen. There's not a moment when people aren't giving God praise. And guess what? When you and I get there, think what we're going to do. We're going to do the same thing, y'all. Amen. I don't know about you, but man, I'm going to spend some time praising my God because I was lost and undone. I was a sinner. I was a wretch. I was in a pit, dude. I mean, God brought me out of addiction and everything else. And, and, and you know what? If I, when I get to heaven, just the fact that I'm there is going to make me want to praise God for about a billion years. Amen. Because that in itself is, is going to be awesome. Not to mention everything else that's going on up there. Praise the Lord. So it's got to be God-focused. We've got to have our hearts right. The Bible said David was sorely displeased. That's a nice way of putting it. He was P.O.'d, y'all. He was mad. He was angry. If you look it up in the Hebrew, it said that he was extremely angry. You ever been angry at God? Have you? Two of us are honest. <laughs> sure we have. 
Hey, man, I was telling somebody the other day, man, uh, you know, I've been working with this one brother that, uh, you know, he's, he's got a very complicated situation. And, and I was talking to him, and I said, man, I said, he goes, man, I, I haven't really been to church in five years because I've just been angry. I've been angry at God. And I said, you know what, man, God understands that. He said, what do you mean? I said, man, read the book of Habakkuk. Read that little book. You know, where Habakkuk gets down and he says, God, I don't understand it. I look around and I see everybody getting, the rich are getting a good deal. The wicked are prospering while we're struggling and we're not getting ahead. And, and you know what? I just don't think it's fair. I think we're getting a, a raw deal here, God. And God spoke to Habakkuk and said, guess what, Habakkuk? Things are going to get worse. They ain't getting better. They're going to get worse. I'm going to send the Babylonians down who's going to be like a bunch of leopards who's going to devour you. Because i got to teach this nation a lesson. Amen. And you know, before, before Habakkuk gets done in those little three chapters, by the time you get to the end, even though God didn't change his mind, they did come down. They did do all that stuff. Amen. Habakkuk is saying, you know what, Lord? Even though there ain't no olives on the trees, if there's not no fruit on the vine, if there ain't no oxen in the stall, I'm still going to praise you. Because you're still God and you still know more than I do. Come on, y'all. Amen. It's not, hard, it's not bad to let God know how you feel because guess what? God already knows anyway. I mean, you're not hiding nothing from the Lord. The Lord knows when your heart is upset or when you're displeased or when you're discouraged or you're despondent or you're dry. God knows all that stuff. All He's wanting is to just come along beside of you and pick you up and help you to get better with Him. He wants to... Wipe away every tear. He wants to renew our spirit. He wants to restore our relationships. He wants to do all that stuff. You know what? Yes, he does. So David was displeased, and his focus was wrong, and he wasn't in obedience. But somewhere along the line, before David goes back to, Aben uh, 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 back to Obed-Edom's house, he gets a hold of this right here. Well, it wasn't exactly this, but it might as well have been. It was the word. It was the word that God gave his people. David happens to get a hold of the word. And he opens it up somewhere along the line in the book of Leviticus or Deuteronomy or whatever. And, and, and he notices in there that God said, oh, by the way, by the way, I've already told you how to carry that box around. Okay? It's not a U-Haul trailer. It's, a, it's, it's the representation of my presence, okay? It's the most holy article you have in your whole nation that I've ever created, okay? This is it. And so I want you to carry it like I told you, and, and everything will be just fine. Amen. Oh, then David's ready to get his praise on. He was a praiser, y'all. He's ready to get his praise on. You know what? Praise is an important thing. Amen. How often do you praise the Lord? Amen. How often do you praise the Lord other than when you're in here? Some of y'all don't even praise Him when you're in here, but I'm just saying, yeah. How often do you praise the Lord other than being in here? Amen. You know what? Praise should be a mainstay of our life. Amen. Every day when we wake up, the first thing that should be on our mind is the fact that, you know what? We got breath in our body. God has come by and He has sustained us for one more day. Amen. When you, when you wake up in your bed, amen, you're, you're sleeping in a, in a more comfortable spot than probably two-thirds of the world. 
When you sit down into a meal, whether it's a Big Mac or whatever it might be, you're eating better than probably two-thirds of the world. I mean, we have got so much to give God praise about. I mean, we are a spoiled people. Amen. We don't recognize the fact that but for the grace of God, but for the grace of God, we could be living in a third world country, picking food out of a trash barrel, amen, whatever. Amen. If you have got anything going on, if you've got clothes on your body, amen, you're blessed. Are y'all hearing me today? Amen. But when we begin to praise God and we get in His presence, listen guys, in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. Amen. When we, get into, when we begin to praise God, it ushers us into the presence of the Lord. Amen. David said, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Amen. Enter his courts with praise. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. Say that with me. God inhabits the praises of his people. One more time. God inhabits the praises of his people. What does that mean? It means that when you begin to praise God, it's like you're building a habitation. You're building a tabernacle for the Spirit of the living God to come and dwell amongst us. Some of us, we got little cardboard boxes we're putting Him in. Amen. He deserves our best. Amen. He deserves the best that we can possibly muster up. But when we begin to give Him praise, when we get down on our knees before the Lord, rather than reading Him our wish list, come on. Or, 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 or acting like he's the customer service agent at Walmart and telling him all the things that we don't like. Amen. Rather than doing all that, if we were to come into his presence and just start praising him. Sometimes I, when I pray, sometimes I don't even ask God for nothing. I just praise him. God, I praise you. I praise you for your faithfulness, Lord. I praise you for your grace. God, I praise you for your patience because, Lord, there were so many times, God, when you could have given up on me, but you didn't do it. God, I praise you, God, for your mercy. God, I didn't deserve all those times of forgiveness, but, Lord, you've been so merciful to me. God, I thank you, God, for your provisions on my life because you have blessed me and you meet our needs and you paid our bills and, and you brought us out of hard times. God, I thank you, Lord, for relationship. We could go on and on and on. I could do that for 30 minutes. Amen. And you know what? If I did, though, I'd be having a Holy Ghost hoe down here in a minute. Because I ain't got to praise the Lord very long. I ain't got to praise Him very long before I start, yeah, I start getting really Pentecostal about that time. Amen. I ain't got to praise Him very long because the Spirit of the Lord inhabits our praise. Hallelujah. Glory to God. That's why when we walk in here, we shouldn't need people with pom-poms cheerleading us. Come on. I mean, man, we should come in here excited. Amen. Not only do we get to praise the Lord, but we get to, we get everybody else is praising the Lord. And if this many people are praising the Lord, God's going to show up. Amen. All right, that was my introduction. Hang on.